0: Good morning. This uh, morning's scripture reading is going to come from Matthew 28, 16 through 20 on the Great Commission. If you're in the Pew Bible, uh, it's page 993, if you want to turn there. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, to come and to uh, speak to the people at Beaver. I was excited, intimidated, humbled, but most of all honored. I've sat out there and seen uh, some amazing work done by this church. The way that this church has impacted me has lasted a lifetime, and in a very real way, I'm a product of, of our kind of Christianity, from being here for youth nights or youth rallies or youth camp. Growing up as a teenager here, being um, in many ways mentored, inspired, and motivated by Shane. Our uh, paths crossed many times in the mission field. I think he went just a few years before I did, but I was blessed to hear his stories, to hear about what he's doing in other parts of the world, and it was motivating to me personally. I wanted to tell you that it's, uh, this is an easy church to come to because this is a church that has a vision of moving forward. When we talk about the Great Commission, you know it well. When we talk about what it is that God wants for us to do in our own lives and communities, you are doing that. So when I come here today, I'm not casting a vision for Beaver. I'm simply trying to provide motivation for the vision that your pastor and that this church has. And that's all I want to do today. Is to encourage you, to motivate you, to help you understand more clearly the desperate situation that we are in because of the world that we live in. I'm going to talk to you about three things today. First, I want for you to walk out of this building knowing better the God we serve. And in knowing that, I want for you to know more of who you are. And once you put those two things together, and open up your eyes and look around at the world we live in, then you will realize that there is a problem, and the only solution for that problem is Christ. And the Great Commission that we just heard read to us a few moments ago is God's plan. It's God's plan to get us out of the mess that we have got ourselves into. So if you'll turn with me to Revelation chapter 7... I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. All right, the kitties can go to children's church. All right. All oh, the kitties to the children's church. <laughs> all right, that is no problem at all. I'm used to goats walking through the church or, you know... Rooster's trying to spur me. All right. Y'all have fun. All right. So how we're going to do this is I've got some scriptures that I'm going to read to you, a couple of stories that I want to tell and some words of encouragement to maybe help us to understand the Word of God a little bit better. And I'm going to try to do that as quick as I can because I want to leave as much time as possible for your questions. So at the end... We're going to open up the floor, and for anyone who would have a question, we're going to talk about it. That does not mean that I can answer the question. There may be someone else in the room who could answer the question better than I could, but I'm going to do my best, all right? So if a question pops into your mind, just write it down. When we get to the end, we're going to work through those questions. If we run out of time, we're going to make some more time, okay? I know that plenty of people got to go, but I don't want for anybody to leave this building with a question still in their mind or a question still on their page. So get me after the service or write me on Facebook or grab my phone number and make sure that whatever it is that God is doing in your life, whatever direction he's moving you in, that you get that clarity. All right, so here we go. Revelation chapter 7 verse 9. Now, when I was about 21 years ago, when I was about 21 years old, it seems about 21 years ago, and yeah, what? Well, not quite 21, all right, so I did a big trip, all right, I did a big hiking trip. I went, uh, I hiked the Appalachian Trail, it was a big thing, it was about 2,200 miles that year, and it was uh, tough, so, but the way that I did it, I, I, knew, I knew where I was going, right, Okay, if you start in the north, you're hiking a Springer Mountain. If you start in the south, you're hiking to a mountain called Katahdin. And you know the name of that mountain. You may not know what it looks like or what it's like once it gets there, but you know where you're going. The only questions that you have to ask the only questions that you have to answer on a day to day basis is what are you going to do that day to get there? This is Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. When we look here at John's future vision, we see the destination. We see where we're going. We see what the church is going to look like when we finally arrive before the throne of Christ. The only question is, what are we going to do day to day to get us there? How are we, as individuals and families, and as a local church, How are we going to be part of this future vision? What are we doing to make sure that John's vision is accomplished? There's no question whether or not it will be accomplished. The only question is, will you be part of making that happen? Will this church be part of seeing this come to fruition? Let me read to you. Now after these things I looked, and behold, there was a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, and peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and with palm branches in their hands, and carrying... Out with a loud voice and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you will open up our hearts and our minds. I pray that we will see clearly the direction that we are moving, that day to day that we will know what it is that you would have for us to do. I pray that this church will be a collection of people and families pursuing Christ, following Him, following Him all the way to obedience that will cost us something. Heavenly Father, I pray that You will open up our minds and give us the strength to move forward that we would be part of seeing John's vision accomplished. Revelations chapter 7, verse 9. Now after these things I looked, and behold, there was a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne... And before the Lamb, they were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the land. This is what is going to happen. This is what is in the process of happening right now. And how did we get ourselves to this point? How does the church accomplish this future vision well in order to answer that question i'm going to have to go back to the beginning i mean all the way back to the gen- all the way back to the beginning because in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth in 6 days he spoke everything into existence everything that is seen and unseen god created it out of nothing he created a man and a woman he gave them a place to live and gave them commandments to live by But they did not complete the commandments of God, and they chose to disobey. And in their disobedience, sin entered into the world. And that sin began to fester in the heart of man, and it begins to move. Now there was a commandment that God had given to Adam and Eve, and it was, to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. I want you to see that this command was given to God's people. This command was spoken to a man that God had a relationship with. The assumption of this command is that God's people would be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. you know what? Because of man's contribution to creation, this sin, this thing that was not created in the beginning, it, it came into existence and it was there. By the time of Noah, the scripture tells us that indeed the world was filled, but it was filled with what? With evil and violence. And in God's grace, he began again with Noah and his family. And again, he gave to the man he had a relationship with. Again, God spoke this command directly to Noah and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. In God's grace, he began again. He gave that commandment again. And who did he give it to? He gave that command to his people. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And man began to spread all over the face of the earth. But you know what? Mommies and daddies did not always teach their children the commands of God. And too often, too often we chose to disobey when we should have chosen obedience. And from a man named Abraham, God raised up a people that they would be an example to him. That they would be an example to him to all and how to have a relationship with God. He gave them the law and he gave them the sacrificial system that we would have atonement for our sins. God has always been about calling out his people from his creation. God's special creation in us. God has never left himself without a witness and he has always gone after us. You know what happened when Adam first chose to 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 reject God's best. What was Adam's response to that? And what did God do? You remember the story after Adam sinned? What did he do? He hid. He hid. He hid. And what did God do? Stop. Just let that response, because you know the answer. Let that response sink into your mind and let it change your life. Now I want you to tell me what did God do? He went after him. He went after him. God had provided a perfect existence for Adam to live in. Had given him a perfect place and told him how to live and have a relationship with him. And when Adam chose to sin, he and his wife, Eve, they took off And God went after them, and he said, Adam, Adam, where are you? And Adam said, we hid, because we are ashamed. You know, I will never fully understand that story, because, you know, God created a lot of stuff, right? And there's two false stories that we have in the Bible, and the second one's a little bit harder to piece together. But you know what? There was a a group of angels, and there was one that, you know, he was... He he gave into the pride that was in his own heart. You know what? There's a whole bunch of angels. They fell too. We don't know a lot about it, but we know a little bit about what happened afterwards. What did God do when the angels fell? He created a place for them called hell. And what did we do? What, what, What did God do when we fell? when we chose our own pride to live in our own shame, that he came after us. And when we tried to mess it up all again, with Noah and his family, he began again. Relentlessly, we rejected God. And in the person of Abraham, God gave a new system that we would know who he is, that we would understand that there is a God who created everything and loves and pursues us, Adam, Adam, where are you? Until the point in time when even this example that was supposed to happen in the family of Abraham could not be completed, and, and they fell far short of being the exemplar of the people of God. And then the Messiah came, God's only son, to show us how to live and have a relationship with God. God. He gave himself up as an atonement for our own sins. Adam, Adam, where are you? We never went so far that God did not chase us down even to the point of the death of his own son. He lived and he worked those three years of hard, difficult ministry. He changed lives. He raised the dead. He taught things that were unbelievable. Unbelievable. And in His resurrection, He proved His words were true. The, role, the result of that is what we see in Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. And I want for us to look at that and to look at this closely. And I want for you to have that background of God's pursuit of man. God has always come after us to call out from His creation His people. Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. God's redemptive work through history, always seeking out His people to the point of sending His Son to be the Messiah. Three years of hard ministry, the death, the resurrection, and now... We read in verse 16 of Matthew chapter 28, And then the the, the eleven disciples, they went away into Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted, and Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. This is how John's vision is accomplished through his church. I don't understand it, but that's all right. This wasn't my idea, okay? This is how Jesus wanted to do it, and he wants to accomplish his work through us. In the same way that God went after Adam in the garden, he preserved his people with Noah, made himself known, through the family of Abraham, he has preserved a people for himself today in the church. Now, these 11 disciples, they stood there that day as our representatives. They stood there that day as representatives to the church and faithfully preserved these words that they come down to us Verse 17 should give us a moment to think. It says that when they saw him, when they, the eleven, okay, these are the guys that knew Jesus well. They had lived together. They had worked together. It says that when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some did what? Some doubted. The eleven they doubted they stood there upon that hill looking upon the person of christ the man that they knew well that even then they doubted but the ones who were not doubting what were they doing let me hear you the ones who weren't doubting what were they doing Worshipping; Those two things will always be in contrast. When you start to doubt, our response should be worship. And when you are in a posture of worship, seeing and believing and understanding the person of Christ, worship will well up within us and it will displace the doubt. But still, Jesus said to them all, those who were worshiping, and those who were doubting. It says that Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. The work that we do and what we try to accomplish is not in our own authority, in our own churches, or in our associations. It's not not in our own ideals or anything that we came up with. It is only under the authority of Jesus Christ. I want for you to know, no matter who you are, how much money you got, the businesses that you run, your education or titles, the only thing you got going for you is Jesus. It's the only authority that we have to live. Anytime you think, start thinking anything else, this is when we allow pride to creep into our own lives. And to these people, And with this authority, what did Jesus said? When he just, he's loading these guys up. I'm giving you authority, my authority from heaven and earth. And what is he going to ask them to do? What would he do? Overthrow the Romans? Start a new economic system? Establish a new nation? No. The plan of Christ was what he had always been doing from the very, very beginning. Adam, Adam, where are you? In verse 19, Jesus says to us to go therefore and make disciples. Now, who do we make disciples of? We make disciples of all nations, and we baptize them, and no confusion of what we are baptizing them into the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, a God, three persons in one, unique, and all-sustaining. And what does it mean to make disciples? What does it look like when we are doing this work that we have been given the authority to do and that we have been called to accomplish? It looks like that you're teaching them to observe. What do you teach them to observe? The things that Jesus taught to us. This is extremely important. If you believe that you are called out to be a disciple-maker, and every one of us is, then we must Teach that we must influence, that we must teach others the things that we have been taught. But if you've got nothing to teach, then that's a problem. And if you try to teach the things that you have not been taught from Christ, you're only going to be teaching your own ideas or philosophies. Something that you came up with your that you came up all on your own. But the only thing that actually comes with that authority is the things that Christ taught us, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. We must teach the things that have been taught to us. If you are trying to teach something that has not been taught to you, it will only bring confusion and you will mislead your family, your children, and your church. We can only teach the things that have been taught to us by Christ and knowing that in all things, in every way, in every location, and all throughout history, that he is with us and that will never end. This is the Great Commission. This is our commission. You know, it's kind of a funny title, right? In the top of your Bible, the Great Commission, because when you start from the beginning and work your way up to that, it just seems like this is what God's been doing the whole time. He just called us into it. This is the work that God has been doing since the very beginning and he never stopped. He just brought us into it. He passed this on to us. Now I want you to know that the work of making disciples, that it is not easy, it is a difficult task, but it is our task and we have been given the power and the authority to accomplish that task. I've got a whole lot more to say but I want to leave plenty of time for questions. So let me pray for us. Get your questions ready, all right? Lord, we thank you for the blessing that it is to, to be here, to be amongst your people, to set together in this place where the, with a church that is so uniquely placed in this community to be life changers. Lord, I pray that you will do an awesome work through the lives and and ministries of these individuals and through this church collectively, Lord, I pray that you will continue to push the gospel out from here, Lord. I thank you so much that you have called us into this, Lord. It's a humbling and intimidating task, Lord. I pray that you will convince us that the only way that we can do it is through your power, under your authority, and always trusting in you. I pray that we will keep our eyes on the destination, that we will know that the church to know where the church is going and that we will be part of getting the church there. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. All right, we're doing good on time.
1: All right. If you have any questions for Bobby this morning? Raise your hand before you ask it. And Chris is gonna come around with the mic. That way uh, those that can't, hear very well. Our online people can hear as well. So uh, do y'all have any questions? And I hope you do. I hope you got them prepared and written them down. Uh, Let's, let's, let's ask them at this point. Missy.
2: Bobby, thanks for sharing with us. Um, One question I had was, I would love to know the story of how you
1: knew that you were called to be a missionary.
0: Okay, great. All right. That's a big story. I'm going to try to give you a little piece of it. So I was 18 years old. I was going to Dyersburg State Community College and trying to figure out what it is that God wanted me to do. I mean, I just didn't know. Like I kept catching these little glimpses like when I'd go to youth camp or, you know, I was doing pretty good in my Christian life and I'm like, wow, God's got a plan for me. Um, But then it would just become really cloudy and I just couldn't hear God and trying to walk this Christian path just didn't seem real all the time. You know, sometimes it was like made sense and other times it just seemed crazy. Um, But when I was about 18 years old, I felt God, had just called me to something that I had no idea what it was. And he put a restlessness in my spirit, um, to, to seek that out. I mean, I only, I thought like, if God wants to do anything with you, you're going to be a youth minister like Shane or a preacher like my daddy. That was really kind of the only two ideas that I had. Um, but I never felt so impressed to do one or the other. I wasn't even thinking about the mission field. And so um, I moved to North Carolina. I started working for this ministry called Snowbird Outfitters. I was going through a lot of discipleship, studying the Bible a whole bunch. And I heard about these things called unreached people groups. Okay, and this is like the billions of people on the planet that there's no Bible in their trans- there's no Bible in their language. That there's no Christians in their village. There's not a church within walking distance. Like if they woke up this morning and said, "I no longer believe what I've been told by my family." and I will find something else that they ain't going to find it that day. That The gospel of Jesus Christ is just not accessible in a language and location that they have access to. And I heard that, and I I read Mm -hmm. in um, John chapter 3. I'm going to read this to you right quick. All right, so John chapter 3. I mean, you remember the whole thing. Nicodemus comes to Jesus. He should have already known all this stuff, but Jesus is like schooling him on like what it's really all about and what the Messiah is really going to do and what um, following God really looks like. And John chapter 3, verse 17, okay? Jesus says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe in him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the, of the only begotten Son of God. But God didn't come in, into the world to condemn those people. That wasn't the purpose of it. It's the effect of it. God did not send his Son into the world to condemn those. The only reason why they are condemned is because they stand condemned because they do not believe in the name of Jesus. And I freaked out. Okay? By this time, I'm like 19 years old. I dropped out of two community colleges, had no idea what I was doing with my life, and I just said, I got to go find those people. I don't care where they're at, anywhere. I don't care. Go anywhere in the world. And I heard about this team that was going to the jungle in South America, and I could go work in the Amazon River Basin, and I just started making phone calls and trying to convince people that if you would let me go, that I would work as hard as I possibly could. And that was about as far as I got. I talked to the right people at the IMB, and they made a big fat exception. Um, I didn't have a bachelor's degree. I mean, I had very little experience, and, uh, and I went. And that's how I got there.
1: Anybody else? Miss Cindy, did you have a question? Mr. Ronald?
2: We were fortunate enough that we got to speak with Bobby during our Sunday school time. And so that was one of the things I wanted him to share. But maybe, Bobby, if you could tell just a little bit about where you've been since then.
0: Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so I do this journeyman term. So it was two years in the jungle. I worked with an unreached people group in an extremely remote area and saw God do amazing things. Saw him change lives. Saw him change my life. And I thought, okay, what do you do now, right? I mean, everything that I had believed had just changed and this whole God thing and his plan for my life you know that you always hear from Sunday school like had become the most real thing to me in my life that there was this God who had a plan and that plan like filtered all the way down to me and this whole Great Commission thing like I was part of that so um I was so blessed to be able to meet a young lady who had that same passion and vision she went to Millington High School and we got married um it was crazy. We didn't see each other for two years. I was engaged while we were in the jungle. I mean, that story was just absolutely amazing to look back on it and to see God's grace in our life. But since then, we just um, felt God call us to go to, um, into unreached areas and start new teams that would plant churches. And so that's what we've been doing since um, beginning in 2006. So we left, uh, we, um, after I left South America, Then we went into Uganda, we worked in northern Uganda to establish a church planning team. Then we relocated to South Sudan, which was the wildest time in my entire life. We were there in South Sudan for two and a half years of their most recent civil war, and we helped to establish a church planning team there. And now we are in In Injamina Chad, working in an Islamic urban area, which we've never done that before, we've never worked with Muslims, we never worked in a city, and now we are also trying to establish a church planning team. Um, and so that's, that's the type of work we do, and that's the places we do it.
1: Caleb's got a question. Chris, anybody? What were the timelines on
0: those places? Um, so the jungle was uh, South America, Zoe 678. Um, we January of 2012, we went to... Um, Uganda, so northern Uganda on the Sudanese border, and then South Sudan was uh, the latter part of 2013. And then we moved to Chad almost three years ago. All right, so at the beginning of the lesson you did, um, you kind of did a brief summary of the Old Testament, like the beginning yeah. of it, and you um, stated about Abraham, and you stated about... Um, just like the uh, garden. And I noticed that Pastor Shane, he does that a lot. What was your relationship with Pastor Shane? Like, where did y'all meet up? Where did y'all cross paths? And also, did y'all go over that at all together? Um, I just know that he does that every single week. That's great. Yeah, but uh, yeah, you you know a different Pastor Shane than I know of Shane. I mean, how how did we meet? It was mostly playing pranks on each other and, you know, dropping toilets in each other's yard and, you know, trying to, you know, uh, try to, I mean, just go to the junk pile and get a bunch of junk and then go pile it up on, you know, Shane's porch. That was kind of, you know, the type of ministry we had back then. It's very strange, you know. (laughs) I mean, when was the last time you rolled a yard? You know, I guess you couldn't do that now. Toilet paper is far too valuable. So that was the types of thing. And then, you know, Shane and I are about the same size. So when he, when, he, uh, when his clothes would get too older when people would give him clothes, okay, then he would come to, he'd say, hey, come to my office. And I'd go to his office, and then he would give me some of those clothes. So i probably have some of y'all suits in my, uh, in my closet. Um, so that was kind of our relationship. But the thing that I'll say about Shane, because we were so early on in all this, and Shane's uh, several years older than I am, um, is that, okay, that narrative style, that's really common for missionaries. We all do it, okay? And it's basically what we're trying to do, and Shane and I picked this up from kind of the same uh, way of doing it, but from two different locations, you know, me in Africa and him in China. And the idea is what we want for everyone to see, and this is kind of, if we lift the curtain a little bit, is um, that this is one big story, that it all, it's, it's one great big story from the beginning of time to the end, Okay? And it moves, and it doesn't stop, and we're a part of that. And I want for everyone to be able to see that, and to be able to find your place in it. And I want you to know: Are you part of that redemptive story? Or are you outside of it? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Are you His now? Are you His redemptive agent, or are you not? So that's what Shane and I talk about now. But like back then, we were talking about, you know, pretty girls and. You know, playing pranks on each other. Um, does that answer your question? It's su- Such a good question, um, Mr. Bobby's got one. It seemed like there was one Sorry. more. <laughs> why,
1: can't we, uh, why can't we get the world to see the urgency of their salvation? In other words, here in the South, we hear it all the time, and so right. many people don't accept. I know, from what from here in the mission field, you, they have to be told a bunch. But why can't? Why is it? I mean, it's almost—it's right. really up to the Holy Spirit
0: mm-hmm.
1: to convict their hearts. But why mm-hmm. can't they see the urgency? You know,
2: right. Today's salvation.
0: I hear it. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I have the exact same question. The best answer that I can come up with is this is the country with the most distractions on the face of the planet. So when James says, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials and temptations, I've heard people say to me, man, I'm going to tell you what, where you, know, where you live in Africa, like you've got so many... Um, you know, you've got so many trials and hardships and everything. You can't help but grow in Christ. And that's true in part. But I look at America and I say, this is the place with the most temptations ever. Ever. And I mean, as soon as you open up your phone, the junk that comes through on the internet, what you're getting on social media, what goes on in your own communities, effects of drugs, any kind of stimulus, I mean, you name it. Um, it's all there. And so we as a people... We are so good at just not thinking about painful stuff. You know, somebody told me the other day they said, "You know, I bet this COVID-19 thing is just going to change everything about America." It is not. You remember 9/11? Like, that's like ancient history now. We thought about it for like 2 months and one of the strongest one of the things that we are best at of any culture in the world, we are so good about forgetting our pain. It's unbelievable, okay? We go on vacation to Germany, in Japan now. My grandfather would not go on a vacation to Germany or Japan. Okay? That would be on his mind. But for us, no big deal. Okay? We can just forget it. And as soon as we get a little bit stressed out about what's going on in the world or maybe that God actually has a real responsibility for us to do something personally, to go talk to a neighbor, to go help someone in need, to invest in the problems that we have in our own community, we can just go to the next distraction. We can just pull into a fast food joint, turn on the television, jump on social media, and you know what? Those heavy thoughts just go away and we can just move on with our day. And I don't think it's... I think there's a lot more to it, but to answer your question, I think we're really good at staying distracted. And I want to answer one more thing about you, about shame, okay? Okay? So listen, this is the thing that I learned from Shane. Shane was the absolute best at loving people that I had ever seen. We were all trying to figure out how to do the youth ministry. We're all trying to figure out, you know, how to love these kids. And, you know, and Shane's authenticity of how he loved people, that changed my life. There was, I didn't didn't even go to this church, okay? And there was never no mistake at how Shane loved me. And that motivated me to follow the God that Shane followed. And so as I was trying to be more like Shane, which I was, okay? So as I'm trying to be more like Shane, what I didn't figure out until later was that I was just becoming more like Jesus, because that's what Shane was doing. So it's, it's a bit of a bait and switch. You meet Shane, you realize, wow, this is the most genuine guy I've ever met, and he loves me. I want to be like him, but he just pushes you by him real quick, and you find out that you're just following the same Jesus that he is, and that's what Shane was best at.
2: Hey Bobby, way over here. Oh, <laughs> I'm assuming that you have a great deal of skill with the French language and I'm wondering um, how much skill you have with like local dialects, the different mm-hmm. places you've been and how much you rely on translators.
0: Right, so we don't use translators. Um, I guess we would if we have to. I don't have great skill in French. I've got really good messy French. Okay, just like Africans, right? Um, and so what we're... so we have had to, to learn different languages and to learn those quickly and to be able to use those languages um, for discipleship, for relationship building, and for teaching the Bible and to be able to do that pretty quick. And it's amazing what you can do with what little you have. And so I speak French on a conversational level. Um, I've spent more time with Arabic, so my Arabic is better than my French. Um, but as we do that, then we are able to... Um, uh, Get better at communicating to people, right? So, and I'll tell you, when I was first learning French, I had this friend of mine, he was, he was a French guy, okay? And uh, I was living in France at the time. And he says, hey, you know, let's meet together. We'll talk, we'll talk about, you know, whatever. I was thinking, this is great. He can help me learn French, right? So we start talking, meet together a couple of times. And then the next time I meet this guy, well, he had a whole lot of problems and I didn't know about it. OK, and it scared me really badly. Um, but he I thought he was just helping me out with my language, but he was desperate to spend time with just one believer, with one person who would not shun him or push him away or just to have a conversation with him. And it took my French lessons from being like, gosh, I got to pass this you know, quiz that's coming up at the end of the month to I've got to learn this language because John Mark's life hangs in the balance. Like, I've got to take everything that I can learn in class and in these books and on these worksheets, and I've got to be able to take this, pull it up, saturate it with the gospel, and get it to Jean-Marc as soon as I possibly can. And so there was no time to waste. There was no time to waste. And, and I could go on with that. But that's been the situation with every language that we've moved, that we've moved through, and we, and we hadn't stopped yet. Okay, yeah, that's been an amazing thing. When we first got to Chad, um, we spent the first year just trying to build relationships and trying to learn as much Arabic as we could. So working through with uh, that and in that, so let me tell you this story. So we had this guy, he was a volunteer. It's this big redneck. He called me and said, hey, I want to come spend some time with you. I said, all right, that'd be great. He said, I'm going to come stay two months. Whew, Two months. So, like, he shows up, he stays with me for two months, sure enough, and, but what do you do with a guy like that? He doesn't speak Arabic, he doesn't speak French, he doesn't know anything about the local culture. But there was a bookshop around the store, and the owner of that bookshop said, if you ever could do an English club, that would be great. So I sent this big redneck up there thinking, he speaks some kind of English. Like, maybe he could do it. So he does. And week after week, he teaches English to a group of devout Muslims. At the very end, he says, I want to tell you why I really came. I want to tell you why I love you. And then one of the local leaders, who was a local uh, Islamic leader, translated it. He had enough Arabic to be in English to be able to translate it. And then uh, this volunteer just gave out Bibles to everybody in the room, an Arabic New Testament. And all those Bibles found their way to the burn pile, the trash, or was just left behind, all except one. There was a guy there named Amir. Amir took that Bible, went home, had three visions read the New Testament, and walked away from Islam and gave his life to Christ. He immediately began to read and study hours and hours a day. We began to disciple him, and about two months later, his family found out that he had walked away from Islam. He had stopped practicing his religion and was now following Christ, and um, they tried to kill him. Um, There was an uncle of his that was appointed to to perform the honor killing, And they had Amir come to the house. They put down a Quran. This is not far from where I live. They put down a Quran, put down that Arabic New Testament that volunteer gave to him. They said, before everyone in the family want for you to choose, he reached down. He picked up the New Testament, put it to his heart, and his uncle put a pistol to his head and pulled the trigger. Amir said the gun went off. There was a muzzle flash. He was thrown to the ground. His uncle, who was an expert at killing people, he picked him up, put the gun back to his head, pulled the trigger again. Amir said the bullet disappeared. He said, uh, after that, everybody became terribly frightened. They took all of his things. They poured gasoline on it, burned it, kicked him out of the family, had documents drawn up to have his inheritance removed. He lost his family, lost his name, lost his house, lost everything. God called him into the ministry of evangelism. And he just began to live his life in that city, broken and desperate. And with all the encouragement that we could give him as outsiders, but he was cut off from his family and one by one, people began to come up to him and they would say to him, how did you escape? Can you really get out of Islam? And he would say, come to my house and I'll tell you about Jesus. And that was how evangelism worked in our context. That was what it looked like in N'Djamena. And three people came and four people came and those people gave their lives to Christ. Now listen, if you're a, especially a Sufi Muslim, okay, especially if you are a mystical Muslim, in your whole life, your goal is to find peace. That's all you're trying to find is peace. And now you've been told that peace is found in Allah. Now, the way that that works is every day, you basically, God's up here, there's a great big mountain, and you're at the bottom. And then you try to follow the religion and do the things you're supposed to with the prayers and the almsgiving, and you can work your way up the mountain. You do bad things, you fall back down. And you're just hoping that on that last day, you'll be high, you'll you'll get to the top of the mountain, And you'll find the peace that is only found in the best of their religion, which they think is there, but I've never talked to a Muslim who's experienced that. So they're all seeking after that. And then Amir tells them a story in their language, and he says, hey, that mountain, it's still there. And God, he's still on top. And we're still down here at the bottom. And we're trying to get up it, but you know what? What? In the New Testament, in the person of Christ, in this new book that I've been reading, God comes down and he picks us up and he takes us to the top. And when a Muslim gets that, oh, you burn everything. You can burn their house to the ground and they will always follow Christ because everything is worth that. To have a relationship with God to live your whole life, 30, 40, 50 years, just trying to have a relationship with God, that someday God would look your way to bless you, that you would have some connection with Him, and then all of a sudden you hear the gospel message from a redneck volunteer translated by a local religious leader, and then you get a New Testament and you read it and you say, Oh my gosh, God came down the mountain and He took hold of me. Oh yeah. You can have my name and my inheritance and everything. And from there, he began to disciple people. He ended up with 50 people meeting in his rented room. The 50 went to, two, uh, went to two different groups to 100. It continued to spread throughout the city. New groups were started. And in April, we baptized 220 new people. These are out of Islam. These are men, women, young women, okay? What I'm saying, y'all are saying men and women, that's great. Women don't come out of Islam, okay? Okay. When you're hearing stories, 90% of those are going to be about men who left Islam. and it happened with women. For some reason, in the city of Injamina, right now, God has moved among the women of Islam. And it blows my mind to see what God has done through the obedience of this one evangelist, this one young man named Amir, who after being a Christ for a few months, has begun to lead a movement in that city.
2: Hi. Um, I want to know first, where in South America were you at?
0: Yeah, I was in um, uh, Uruguay district on the border with Brazil.
2: Okay. Um I'm from Ecuador, that's why I wanted to know. Okay, why yeah, I South
0: had s- yeah, uh, some friends of ours worked in Ecuador. Um, but I ne- I went through Ecuador, but I oh. never was uh, working there. The
2: best country in the world, right?
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my question se va, se is, uh, yeah, thank you.
2: Um, my question is, um, when coming here, I felt like everybody was... Good at being Christian, but not had a really good relationship with Christ. Because what I saw there, um, I grew up being the opposite team, right? I was a a Christian, and that was unheard over there. Um, But my question is, uh, have you met people that don't know anything about the Bible, but even though of that you have seen how they have transformed your life and the way you look at Christ? because of them just meeting Christ? And then do you have any stories of people that have changed your um, your way of looking at Christ and Christianism? Um, do you have any stories about that?
0: Oh, absolutely, for sure.
2: Can you share? Well,
0: I got lots of stories. So, I mean, my life has been absolutely changed by the people that I've worked with. Um, and especially in initially in South America. And I can remember when we were moving through the jungle, we were trying to move between villages, and it was very difficult. Um, And I mean, keep in mind, we had nothing. It was just me and my partner. He was from Colombia. He was an indigenous man. And so we're out in the Amazon basin. I mean, it is a jungle the size of an ocean. And uh, we had so little food. And I remember one day, we were so happy. We were coming down in a dugout canoe, and we found a turtle wow, meat was delicious. So we get this turtle and we keep it with us. And we go there. And I remember that there was this old woman and her daughter and they had escaped from somewhere. I don't know. And they had a fire built. They had pots and pans. And I just walked up to them and I said to them, "Um, you know, I will give you this turtle. If you'll cook it for me, then we can share the meat. And she did. She cooked it. She put plantains with it. She fixed a whole meal of turtle soup, right? It's delicious. Anybody in here had turtle soup? It's fantastic. Okay. So, um, we ate that at the end. I mean, what did I have to give her? You know, I had some money. And so I came and I tried to give her this money. This woman was absolutely impoverished. I tried to give her some money and she said, no, no, no. She said, I won't take that. I won't take it. And I said, no, please, please, please. It began to break my heart that she wouldn't take it. And she said, I know what you're doing and I know what you're here for. And she said to me something in Spanish that I'll never forget. She said, "Déjame compartir mi pobreza contigo. She said, Allow me to share my poverty with you. And that broke me. Because I had never shared poverty with her. I'd never, and she broke me down to a place that has humbled me to this day. Because her words still stay in my mind. Is that, We cannot go so far to escape the family of God. And I'll promise you, I have found them all over the world, okay? These brothers and sisters that we have in Christ. And when you are living out the life of Christ, then they will always have your back, and there will be a home for you to stay in and people for you to live with. There will be a community in the darkest places, in the most far off places. And it's these homes that I've stayed in. It's the people that I've lived with. It's the indigenous of South America. It's the Arabs of Chad. It's the the Dinka of South Sudan. The Ketamijon of Uganda. How we have found brotherhood and fellowship in Christ, because the, at the foot of the cross, the ground's level. No one is no one is above someone else. And I've had many teachers along my way.
1: Chris, I think Morgan has a question. Oh, Sarah, you go, no get. I actually have a question
2: for Shane, and I'm sure other people in this room have it, too. What, as um, local church members, could we do to help the missionaries on the field besides giving to Lottie Moon?
0: Okay, great, yeah. Yeah, it's a great question for Shane. Um, But I'm going to answer it, too. Uh, So this is what it takes. So that hill, right? Okay, so Jesus is talking to these 11 people and probably some more, and they're sitting on that hill. This is the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28. But Luke in Acts chapter 1 adds a little bit more of the conversation. So that story is about that same hill and about those same people. And Luke says that you will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you, okay, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I think that's extremely important for us to get. All right, so that's the rest of the Great Commission. We see that when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, that we will be witnesses. Those two things go together. If you're not a witness, the Holy Spirit is not upon you. If the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be a witness. That's it, okay? Um, And that's the quirky thing about this country that, that we live in, is that in much of the world, to be a Christian is defined by what you do, but in America, being a Christian is defined by what you don't do. And it totally cuts us short. The bar to being a Christian in this county is super low. So like as long as you don't do these few things, then everybody's going to say, well, you're a Christian. It doesn't matter what you actually do. It's more about just what you don't do. So when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be a witness. You'll be a witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So what can this church do? First, as an individual, become consumed with the person of Christ, become so obsessed with who he is and following his path, And following who Christ is, and a weird thing's going to happen is that as you start to follow him, you'll start to look like him. Your life will start to look like him, and don't let that bother you, because I've been bothered by it. And plenty of times, I've sat on a cinder block in my backyard saying, God, why is this so hard, you know? And if anybody's done anything, you know, in trying to follow Christ, you're going to get to a point, you're going to say, if this is God's work, and I'm doing it God's way and God's strength, Jesus' authority, all this, why is it not easier? Why is it not working out? Why am I getting kicked out of villages and I can't, you know, uh, work over here because of threats and we're having problems here and our churches are getting close. Why is it so bad, right? And I'm going to tell you, when that happened to me, I was just taken back to um, the life of Christ. Like, read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Jesus, he just said, hey, like, one time I was a missionary and, like, it stunk for me too. It was really hard. Like, I was rejected by my family Like, even the religious leaders, like, they didn't like me, and they eventually killed me. And, like, who are you? Like, who are you? Like, I'm God, and you want to have it easier than me. Huh, that's weird. And, like, so when you are a witness and the Holy Spirit comes upon you, it's going to change who you are, and your life is going to look like Jesus. Don't be surprised by that. Just read the Gospels and figure out what's coming your way. And then... Be a witness in Jerusalem. That's your point of origin. So that's how we're going to reach the nations, right? So we create a gospel pressure in this church, okay? Right here in Tipton County, we're going to create a gospel pressure. How do we do that, okay? As individuals, we begin to just read our Bible and follow what it says. That's it. That's pretty much step one, okay? If we can do that, we'll be doing great. So we're going to read our Bible and follow what it says. We're going to live like Christ, right? And as we live like Christ, you will create a pressure inside of you that will flow into your family. And then you will see that families will begin to change. They will begin to be conformed to the image of Christ, means that they're going to be like Christ, and then you will see this church be a collection of families who are absolutely crazy about following Jesus. And when this church is crazy about following Jesus, then it will naturally flow over into our communities, into our region, the stuff that Dave's doing, and that church over there, it'll flow out into other places where God is working and using us to work, and it will create an awesome pressure here that will start in this church, and the more pressure that you can get us, it will spew to the other side of the world. The uttermost places will be reached, and they can be reached through the pressure that you create right here in Tipton County in your own home in your own life in your own quiet times and in your own church pressure gospel pressure create it and make it in you and create pressure because when we read the Great Commission there's only two options right? We either go to a place that does not have the gospel and we pull it or we stay in a place that does have the gospel and we push it and you and I will both have calluses on our hands for how hard we pull and how hard we we push.
1: Um, I was wondering, what have been some of the toughest things that you've had to deal with based on, like, where you were living at the time?
0: Yeah. Oh. So, uh, marriage and family, and in, in doing that in conflict zones, especially in South Sudan, when just the war was going on, was really tough. I mean, we had helicopter gunships fly over our house you know, twice a day, we were often within earshot of gunfire, and I've got, you know, like a two-year-old baby who's, you know, you know, waking up at night, you know, my wife and I are having all sorts of communication issues, and, you know, teaming issues, and all sorts of stuff going on, so just basically trying to, trying to walk in holiness, to be a really good dad, to try to be a good husband, and to try to do that with all of the stress from, you know, just where we were living, that was probably the toughest thing. And then I can tell you stories about, you know, that seem way more romantic than that, you know, about, you know, trying to, you know, evacuate out of certain areas or, you know, uh, getting lost in the jungle or, you know, these stories that seem a lot more romantic, but that's not it. It really is the hardest stuff has just been the day-to-day walking in holiness, the same kind of thing that, that you're trying to do right now is the hardest thing for me. And in Africa, we have this saying, it's not the elephants, but the ants that'll get you. So the elephants, you can see those coming, right? And like, and and we love, we love elephants, right? They're awesome. You know, like when I get malaria and I put it on a newsletter, people are like, wow, he must be a real missionary. He got malaria. You know, he, you know, no. You know, so like, you know, if you get kicked out of your country, like people are like, wow, you know, you got kicked out of your country. That's amazing. But like, when I get mad at my wife and punch a wall, like, that's the really tough stuff, you know, but that's the ants. That's the things that just grind at you just every day. You're trying to walk in holiness, but you're just distracted. you got your, your own flesh and your pride and everything's just eating you up inside and you're trying to follow Christ and you're, and you're just weighted down by your flesh. And that's what really eats my lunch.
1: Let's take just a couple more questions and then we'll, we'll close. Yeah, David. Oh.
0: As- with, without being insensitive, aside from the generic churchy phrase of transformed lives, yeah. have you seen God work miracles um, or heard of visions, etc.? I know there are lots of stories from the gospel frontier areas. Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the, the, I would say the vast majority, majority of Muslims that are coming in to know Christ right now in N'Djamena are coming because of visions that they have had from a 30-foot tall being. And I hear these stories all the time. From a being, and sometimes it's one or three, and they're really super tall, and they speak in Arabic, and they basically say to whoever they see is, find the stories of Jesus. That's in some form, that's what you'll get. Sometimes it's read the New Testament or know more about Jesus, but it's find the stories of Jesus. And they're not seeing Jesus in visions, they're seeing these beings. They'll, they'll say they're like angels, but I'm not sure if they're angels. And then once they, once they hear that, then they start hunting down a New Testament. And that takes some time. And so then they find, and so often they will find somebody who's within our network, an Arabic-speaking um, Christian, and then they'll just start to work through some basic stories in the New Testament. And that's how, I mean, and that's, yeah, the real vision. And I mean, you know, Amir was shot in the head twice. And the bullet, I mean, totally uh, just disappeared. I mean, it terrified everybody that was there. They kept saying, you have a spirit, you have a spirit. I thought he was possessed. I guess he was kind of possessed, but, like, not in the way that they were thinking. I mean, yeah, and, I mean, I I could tell you stories, but, I mean, if it's going to, yeah. It's gotten a lot more amazing than that,
1: too. John, last question. Um,
0: Two real quick ones. Um, The days that you have where gone through the trials, what are two or three of the scriptures that you hold on to that you just kind of help drag you through the hardest days, whether it be the fight with your wife or getting kicked out of a country? And secondly, if we are to, like you said, push the gospel here, yeah. Um, you mentioned you and Shane, it's a common thing to go through the story.
1: How can you coach people sitting in Tippin County in one of the most churched areas to create urgency? If, you, if we say, do you right. want to hear the gospel, there's no urgency because they think they are
0: fine, I'm a Christian. Right. How do, we, how do we tell a story to someone who thinks they're a Christian but couldn't, couldn't tell the story? Right. Whew. All right, that would be a question for somebody else. Um, I'm from Tipton County, but I probably wouldn't do too good at trying to minister to people here. We have a great I'm resource probably, in the yeah. back
1: called don't, uh, don't Stub Your Toe and Are You a Rotten Fish? You can Pick that up and give it to someone. That will help on that one.
0: But I do. But I can't answer the first part of your question as far as scriptures, okay? Like, okay, so here we go. This is 2 Corinthians. So Paul, who's, all right, so keep in mind who he is, right? So he's this unbelievably zealous Pharisee persecutor of the church who sees Jesus on the Damascus Road and absolutely changes his life, reorients how he sees the entire world. And then he starts writing back to this church in Corinth, and they've got a world of problems. So what does he say? And if we're looking in, Second uh, Corinthians, this is going to be chapter three, uh, verse seven. He says, "But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence and power of God, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us." So I'm reading that, and um, this is like in 2000 and uh, when was that? 2006. So I'm reading this, and I'm like, "Wow!" Like I, I kind of feel like bummed out. So it's like, all right, so I'm this earthen vessel, and that's pretty much all I am. Like, hard-pressed on every side, that doesn't sound real great. Like, you know, we're crushed, we're not perplexed, isn't that great? You know, but, you know, but we're not in despair, okay? Persecuted but not forsaken, it's getting a little bit better. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. But there's still, like, a lot of beatings and strikings and everything. And um, But what do we do about this? In verse 10, this is what I will spend my life trying to figure out. It says, always caring about the body always carrying in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. Okay? Now, what does that mean? I'm not exactly sure. I feel like that I'm getting there day by day, but somehow, this act on the cross, this whole gospel message, this dying of Christ, we're supposed to carry it about in our body. All right? This death Everything that happened in it, this whole context of why did Jesus come and die, that's supposed to be inside of our own bodies. And I don't know if anybody else has got this. It would be hard for me to read this, but I'll give it a shot if you don't. And what will happen when we do that? We who are perplexed, we're crushed. Like, but when we carry about the dying of the Lord Jesus in our own bodies, it says that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our own bodies. The heck, man? Like, he was God. Like, Jesus Christ can be in us. If we can figure out how to carry about this person of Jesus in us, in our own bodies. Man, God came to our earth and he wants to live in us. Like, that should floor us every morning to know, like, it, it like, how does that happen? Who is this God? The same God that, like, let the angels go and prepared a place of torment for them, pursued us, and now uses us in all of our just mess. He uses all of that to now be his agents of pursuit to others. The dying of Christ in our own bodies, the life of Christ, the life, the life of Christ, right? That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All that stuff can be manifest in who we are. And when you live like that, you will change lives. I mean, how often have you been like, man, like this cousin, like I love him, but I just want him to meet Jesus. Like, you know, I got this friend that I work with. I just want him to meet Jesus. Well, go be like Jesus. Go be like Jesus to where when he meets you, he will not help but meet Jesus. And you'll see lives changed. All right. Sorry, I got fired up.
1: No, that's, that's good. We want to thank Bobby for coming out today. And, and Bobby, um, we want to be in prayer for you. We want to be in prayer for your family. So, in closing, how can we specifically pray for you and your family?
0: So, we've got tickets to go back uh, first week in November. And I think that our, we anticipate our boys, ages 5 and 7, might have a tough transition. They've lived all over the world, but this is the first time that they've really been able to. We've been in the States for six months. So they really had a wonderful time with grandparents and family and all that. So now we've, we're going back into a situation that you know can be hard on them, oftentimes. So pray for our boys, pray for my wife, and pray for us as a family um, because we want to be able to be fully committed to everything that it is that God would want us to do. But we struggle with all the distractions that you struggle with too. We struggle with all the just the negativity and the doubts and everything that comes into our minds. So just pray that we would be dead-centered following Christ every single day, and then pray for our churches. We've got about 40 different groups right now, and we are trying to disciple those people into churches. We're trying to disciple those uh, leaders into elders, and we're trying to uh, see the clear-out barriers within the city of Injamina that the work of God would continue to flow.
1: Thank you, Bobby. Well... We miss our Pastor Shane. We want to just, in, in his words, grace to you. Pastor Shane would like for you to say something about Lottie yeah, Moon. Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah,
0: so Lottie Sorry. I'm a terrible missionary. Um, yeah. Lottie, Moon, Lottie Moon's an amazing thing. Um, so, like all the stuff that you've heard me talk about, I mean, God's doing it. You know, we've got to put ourselves, you know, our willingness to do that. And it's going to take some people going overseas, and it's going to take, you know, thousands of people in churches just like this creating that pressure and pushing us out. Um, And it's the only way that we can do it. I mean, we've got to get plane tickets and visas. We've got to be able to find ways to educate our kids and to be able to, you know, train local leaders, and that takes resources. And it's an amazing system, okay? What we've got, what the Southern Baptists have in the International Mission Board does not exist anywhere in the world. It's an amazing thing that at Christmas time, if you put a dollar on the offering plate, that dollar goes overseas. And I will, and I've been over there, and I'll tell you, the IMB has gone through some really weird stuff in the past. But right now, they are dead center, moving forward with the gospel. There's been a lot of changes, and I believe that the IMB is better organized right now to reach, to unre- to reach unreached people groups, and to be able to train local leaders to encourage churches that are in uh, harvest, uh, harvest fields or legacy centers or places like that than we ever have in the future. I think that we're doing better at supporting the church and better at planting new churches than we've ever done it. And, it, and the way that you can find your obedience, one of the ways that you, that you can find your obedience to being a witness to the ends of the earth is through Lottie Moon. It's an incredible, incredible program, and it's great. It's your Christmas fund, right? You all know about it. Um, and it gets money to people quick. It gets money to people in an efficient way, and it keeps, you know, thousands of people like me and Shane and others on the field.
1: Thank you, Bobby. We appreciate it, and y'all be in prayer for that. That Lottie Moon will be taking it up here. Christmas be here before you know it. It's on. T- Is that right? Okay, just making sure. Uh, <laughs> But uh, again, we we thank Bobby for coming. We just want to pray for his family, lift his family up uh, this week. Lift your church members up this week. Lift each one of you up this week. Lift our pastor up as he's traveling. We just I'm glad he's getting away and and enjoying his fall break. It is Pastor Appreciation Month. Pray how you can uh, impact him and his wife and his family's life this week. Let's uh, let's close in a word of prayer when we close, we'll be dismissed. Let's bow our heads, Father God. We're so thankful for jesus christ we're so thankful for his church his bride of christ father and in your and how you purify it lord we're so thankful for uh people such as bobby who have who have given their lives up to go overseas to to share the gospel to plant churches to minister to unreached people groups, Father, to risk their lives so that people will have an eternal life with Jesus Christ and and, and in your presence, Father. We're so thankful for him and his family. Father, we're thankful for the IMB, for them sending out missionaries, thankful for the people here in this church and, and in America who give money for that so that it makes it possible for Bobby to go do the work that he's sent to do. Father, we ask that this morning that you impress upon our hearts that though we may not be going overseas to plant churches, Father, we need to be light bearers. We need to be uh, the salt and the light here in America, in our communities, in our church, we need to be on fire for for uh, for you. We need to be sharing the gospel within our own communities, within our own people. Father, our mission field here is right here amongst us. Lord, may, may we not be so comfortable, and Father, so so comfortable in our temptations, as Bobby says, Lord, just to to run from them and and to to try to suppress them. Father, may we may we be the salt and light. May we share the gospel and, and shine the light into this dark and depraved world. Use us, God. We are, we are your mechanism. We don't understand it. We don't know why you'd use filthy sinners such as us, but you have chosen to use us, Father. And may we go and make disciples of all nations. I thank you for this church. We thank you for our pastor. We thank you for his love for you, Father. For as Paul says, he, he imitates Christ. May we imitate him as well, Father. May we do that well here at Beaver. Blessings upon Bobby and his family. Safety there. May you give him grace, mercy in his life, Father, for his kids. Uh, just just uh, give them a peace about what they're going to do in their next in their next travels, Father. We pray that Bobby and them are able to, to, Maybe you raise up elders, may men who love the word of God and who go out into the communities and share this great news of Jesus Christ. We're so thankful for your son. Thankful for what he did upon the cross 2,000 years ago and walking the life that we could not walk and coming down to earth and bringing us back up into you. So thankful for that. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.